0: Well, like Jeremy just said, let's start this bad boy here. It is behind the yellow line. Lots of Cubs baseball to get to here tonight. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. We've got spring training games, so some players that have caught our attention will talk about injuries beginning to mount up for the Cubs. Some bad news there, including a big one that could impact the opening day starting lineup. Injuries elsewhere across baseball could impact the Cubs roster, and we'll take one more look at fan graph projections, looking at catchers and a couple of utility players for the Cubs here today. But guys, we've been waiting for this, right? A long offseason. The last time we had this show was just before the Cubs started spring training games. Now here we are, and the Cubs are actually playing. They're winning games. The guys are out there. Uh, one guy that caught my attention in the last week, and I don't want us to fall too down the rabbit hole here of stats or anything. It's not even a full week of spring training games. But I saw the line for Hayden Wesnesky and I said, oh, that's good. And then I saw the pitches. And, man, does he look nasty right now. So this is the guy that we think could be in the starting rotation. At least one two-inning start with four strikeouts. Looks like he's serious about landing that job.
1: Yeah. he. Was, oh, Go ahead, Ryan. The The stuff is there. The stuff is nasty. We saw it in his – brief major league time last season the breaking pitches which are what put him on the radar in the first place are even in Arizona where it can be very difficult to to spin those pitches properly he already has them working in that short start and that's fantastic to see and something to keep in mind we've been talking about how the Cubs are pretty well stocked on these kind of bulk guys guys you can give you multiple innings, multiple times a week. If Wesneski doesn't make the opening day rotation, they'll probably have him start at Iowa to keep him stretched out. But that's a very interesting weapon to have out of the bullpen. There are going to be times in a ballgame where you absolutely need a strikeout and you need them across multiple innings. That would be a very interesting weapon to have in that bullpen. I don't think it'll go that route, but him looking good gives you all sorts of options at the back end of the rotation or in the bullpen if they decide to go that route. I I thought Wisniewski was fantastic. I, I, with you guys... Uh, I watched him pitch that
2: day. He struck out Julio Rodriguez two times because he hadn't struck out first on a, on a pitch on a strike that he didn't get. And he even did a little, his little case strut off the mound and then he came back and struck him out again in the same at bat. And uh, yeah, four strikeouts or two innings. He did have a, a couple base runners in the second inning, put two on, but got out of that inning with a couple strikeouts and I thought he looked uh I thought he looked fantastic. He had that slider working like we've seen. And I I am I'm, I'm real big on Hayden Wesneski. I think that this guy is one of the more overlooked pitchers uh in baseball in terms of like as a young and up-and-coming guy, he only made one top one hundred list out of like the six or seven or eight that we've seen published. And I think this is a guy. Like, look what he did last year in in the majors, and then and, and throughout the year. And I, I think I think we're gonna see big things from Hayden Wasnaski. I think he's gonna be a really good major league pitcher.
0: Do you see him as a starter or a reliever? Big picture,
2: I I like him as a starter. I mean, he's a little funky in the delivery, but that also gives you some mis, uh, you know, direction from uh, from the mound. Uh, I'm hopeful he can stick it out, obviously, as a starter. And I think you know you are, with this team we have right now, you are, to me, you give him all the chances in the world because it's not like there's that competitive, you know, of, of a spot there coming from the, I mean, yeah, there's some guys that are trying to get in that rotation, but I, I like him. And I think that, yeah, I think as a starter is the way I, I I look forward to him. And, and, but he does have that fallback option as as Randall mentioned, if it doesn't work as a starter, he could be a guy coming out of the bullpen, but I think his slider's nasty and I, I'd love to see him, you know, keep prepping for starts.
0: Randall it's early here. Do you think he breaks camp as maybe the number five for the Cubs?
1: You know, I, I have to think. I have to think he may be at a slight disadvantage because he has options, and because you have the veteran Adrian Sampson, who's pitching well-ish in that number five spot. I'm wondering if he is at that slight disadvantage where they tell him go to Iowa, stay stretched out, and there's a good chance you'll be back up here for good sooner versus later. But you know, it's it's we still got a long way to go in spring training. If he continues to pitch this well, if the breaking stuff stays this good, I would would not at all mind seeing him break camp as that fifth start. I think he's more interesting than Adrian Sampson, and that's not necessarily – a dig at Adrian Sampson, though it's not not a dig at Adrian Sampson, but he's a lot more interesting. He's not a journeyman. He's not uh, you know, a guy who's just kind of getting by out there. He's a legitimately interesting pitcher. And, uh, you know, if, if he does prove it, I would like to see him break camp as that fifth starter. So I do think the option works against him, but I think I, I hope he goes out and he earns that job. And I hope he he holds on to it and doesn't let go of it. I'm
0: optimistic he's doing that. I think he's going to take a spot in the starting rotation. 25 years old, so he's got a lot of baseball in front of him still. And Jeremy, you were mentioning in the little that we saw of him last year, he was impressive. We just didn't get a lot of him in the big league team. He was in six games last year for the Cubs, including two in the bullpen. In that time, we saw a strikeout in inning, and to both of your points, he's got that funky delivery, too, so he's sort of a uh a herky-jerky type of a pitcher is maybe how I'd describe it on the mound really appealing this guy's got a big ceiling in front of him and if he can figure out that slider this guy the the, the sky's a the limit for him is what I'm trying to say here so I hope he breaks camp as the number five and I think he's gonna
2: I agree with you I think he's going to I I like him a lot I hope they give him every opportunity to pitch this season in the rotation and i like I said I'm I'm real high on him so I don't foresee him faltering that much. I, I I I want to see him pitch. And you mentioned he came out of uh the pen last year in two uh appearances. One of those appearances was his first appearance where he threw five innings. Like it was right. like there's a regular pen, pen he came out in, in in relief but he threw five innings and he was he was like dominant in those five innings. It was it was a really nice five inning uh um, stint that he threw and so I I give him those those every opportunity like he's kind of he's pitched in AAA. he's done that um, if he looks like he's on, to me, it's like you put him up there because I'm not sure how much more in, in the minors he really has
0: to prove. I want to see him facing major league hitters. Isn't it exciting too? This is a guy the Cubs got for Scott Efros, who we loved, you know, Hoosier, but we loved what he was doing with the Cubs last year. He goes to New York. You get this really promising young starting pitcher back, and I think it's rare to trade a reliever for a major league-ready minor league starting pitcher. That was a really nice trade for the Cubs. And I'm not just saying that because Efross now was dealing with injuries. That's really unfortunate for him and the Yankees. But this was a deal that made sense what the Yankees were trying to do last year,
1: gunning for a World
0: Series, but looks like an awesome return for the Cubs.
1: I remember the shock when Efross was the first name to go ahead of the deadline last year, everyone wondering, what is Jed doing? How can you trade this young reliever with years of control ahead of him for a minor leaguer? And it it turns out that Jed occasionally knows what he's doing. You know, the jury's still out on whether he always knows what he's doing, but it turns out occasionally these trades are made with the return, very good return in mind. And I just remember the shock when Efros was the first to go, and it turns out that might have been the deal of the deadline for the Cubs last year.
0: Well, I also think some of those Cubs fans were a little bit, you know, chomping at the bit with that. Like I said a minute ago, we're talking about a relief pitcher for a major league ready starting pitcher prospect, the Cubs. He's going to be cheap. They've got control of him forever. Nine times, ten times out of ten, you make that trade. So I thought the reaction from some Cubs fans, including some vocal Cubs fans online, was a little over the top.
1: You don't I, say
2: I, I agree with you out there, Ronan. I thought I was surprised. I was like, really, we're we're going over this over so Scott Efros, a sidearming, like 29 year old relief pitcher who's barely played <laughs> in the majors. Um, like, think about it. Think about Scott Efros, right? A guy who was out his way out of baseball, really. Um, and they were like, hey, drop down your arm slot. See if there's something. He finally makes it to the majors pitches pretty successfully. Good for Scott Efros. Good for the Cubs there. And then they trade him for a guy who maybe is a part of the future for the Cubs. Maybe he's a part of the next competitive Cubs starting rotation, or at least coming out of the road, the bullpen. And so to get to that for Scott Efros, who a guy who you thought might not be in organized baseball professional baseball, a year or two before that, I think that's a pretty good move. Yeah. Um, And so I, I, you know, unfortunate for Scott Efros that he he's had the arm injuries. Otherwise he'd probably be pitching for team Israel in the world baseball classic, but uh I, I I like that trade. I, I I was a big fan of it and Wesneski coming over. And I liked him more the more I've seen him. Like, I liked it, the trade at the time, and I was a fan, but I wasn't really familiar with him. And then I've seen him come out there. I've seen him be competitive. I've seen his little case strut. I've seen him throwing these wicked sliders. Like, his sliders are nasty pitches. Yeah. Um. I, I, I'm i a big fan of him. I think he's going to be a, a big part of this Cubs uh, core, kind of, this Cubs future team uh, teams that we want to see that are competitive. I think he's a big part of that.
0: Randall, did you see the overlay from the Pitching Ninja of the two primary pitches there from Hayden? Because if you haven't, you know, it's one thing for us to be sitting at home and watching this on TV and going, oh, it looks good. It's a whole other thing when you see two different pitches coming out of the pitcher's hand and one ball goes up and in and the other one just disappears to the left. I don't understand how hitters ever hit anything. We'll retweet it on our Twitter account once we get this show up. But the graphic from at Pitching Ninja is incredible.
1: Yeah, Pitching Ninja, great account. Uh, with with those overlays, it's it's wild to see how guys can hide the ball, how they can use the same arm motion, and the pitches just go in completely different directions. That's It's very interesting stuff when it's overlaid like that. I have not seen it, but uh, I'm sure I will see it once we rebroadcast it from our account. And again, especially with the breaking pitches, it's, it's just wild to see how they move like that all from the same arm slot.
0: Well, he is one of the most compelling players on the Cubs roster here in spring training. Must watch when he's on the mound. And the good news is we still have about a month of spring training games. So lots of opportunities to see him. Jeremy, give me Mm -hmm. a guy here for good reasons or bad reasons. Somebody, though, that's caught your attention the first week or so of games.
2: All right. I'm going to stick with a guy that we were maybe talking about, like Hayden Wesneski, last spring training. I thought Caleb Killian in his first appearance was absolutely fantastic. I saw it. He pitched two innings. He threw, he faced six batters. He got everybody out through two perfect innings. He was looking like the Caleb Killian we thought we were going to see when he came up and he did actually pitch pretty well in that first game. against Cardinals. Um, I, I I was happy. Like we've heard kind of that he had a little bit of injuries towards the end of last year, kind of got his mechanics out of whack. His walks went up some things. we, we A lot of people kind of wrote him off. You know, he he came up in the majors, didn't really perform, went down back to the minors, struggled even more in the minors. And it's not like anybody's really been talking about him coming into this offseason. And last year, he was good enough to be like pop on a couple handful, just like was of top 100 lists. This year, I I mean, it's one. I I don't want to take too much out of one spring training appearance early in spring training. But when you look at what he actually did and you look at the pitches he was throwing, how he was throwing them. I thought he looked fantastic. And he's a guy, you know, he he put, at least on my radar, he popped back on and be like, maybe Caleb Killian could fight for that end of the rotation spot. Because he looked really good. And I was very happy with it. And I was very surprised at how good he looked.
0: I
1: like it. Randall, yeah. what do you think of Caleb? Yeah, he did look great in that first start. And it's an interesting point where we're talking about the back end of the rotation. We've been talking about the rotation depth all winter. It's not at all out of the question that, let's say, Wisniewski doesn't make the big league roster. Maybe he does start at Iowa. He's in a rotation with Killian, with potentially Javier Assad. That's three really good depth starters who can come up and make an impact immediately if any or all of them don't start the season. On the opening day roster. And it's been a little while since we could say that about the Iowa rotation. The Cubs haven't had a whole lot of, uh, you know, decent, uh, visible pitching prospects coming up and especially not pitching at Iowa, where you feel confident that you can plug and play somebody if somebody goes down. And, you know, like Jeremy said, Killian said he'd been dealing with a knee injury all that all last year. I want to be optimistic. I want to. I want to say, okay, the knee injury was the reason for the struggles. He's going to dominate this year, and the Cubs are going to see the guy that they traded for when they traded away Chris Bryant. I mean that that first spring training game. I, I don't know when we he threw
2: six perfect innings. I believe it was in the Arizona Fall League championship game uh, a, a year prior, heading into last season. Right, and it, the not this past Arizona Fall League, but the year ago. And he and I think that the way he looked then is kind of like how the way he looked. Uh, when he pitched earlier this week, I thought he looked fantastic. He was in 96, 97. His, his pitches had moved the movement on it. You like to see from the fastball. So I, you know, I, I, he's a guy to me. It's like, let's give this guy some due. Let's put him back on. Like I, nobody's really been talking about him. He's kind of slipped off everybody's radar. And I think Caleb Cleaning has the potential to have a, a pretty good season, legit season here and pop himself back on of being a guy that, you know, we look tor- for
0: the future. Randall, let's keep the momentum going from last week. Any player up
1: to this point in spring that has, quote, made you tingle? Uh, nobody has made me tingle. My spider sense doesn't quite work that way. But, uh, you know, Jeremy's going to go with a positive in the short sample. I'm going to go with a negative. And I know this is going to make a lot of people sad. Eric Cosmer has been, I think, as expected so far he's now he's only gotten seven at bats i know it's a small sample we don't want to overreact but we're going to because that's what the show is about one hit in those seven at bats there just hasn't been anything uh so far to make you think that there's anything more in there than what we know is in there which is very little and a- again he could have another gr- he could have a great week in spring training and it's just as meaningful which is not at all as a bad week but you know if he continues to do absolutely nothing and Mervis continues to do something a little bit better, a little bit more than that, maybe it makes that decision that much harder. You don't owe Hosmer anything. Jettisoning him gives you an open 40-man spot. That's what spring training is for. See how things play out. But I think Eric Hosmer has been as advertised so far, but I would not say that is a good thing.
0: Well, I had a potentially bad omen the other night. I was at dinner here across Uh the street from Coors Field, and uh, the Cubs spring training game, which was from earlier in the day, was being rebroadcast. may have been MLB Network. There were a lot of TVs on, but the Cubs were on there. And I was sort of half-watching, it. I'm at dinner. Mervis comes up, and I said to Harriet, this is the guy, right? We need this guy to have a great year for the Cubs. This potentially is the future at first base. In the middle of his at-bat, the female bartender, change the channel oh, to wow. a college basketball game. And I sat there and I, first of all, I said, Oh no. And then I said, that's a bad sign. Don't be doing that to Matt Mervis. Not cool. Lady at the cherry cricket.
2: <laughs> Not cool that they didn't ask if
1: anybody was watching before right? they changed it.
0: And I had a yeah. cut hat on actually. Yeah. Oh wow. I, I know.
1: I know. The, and, Cubs, you know, I, had, I the Cubs hat request. should have like an infrared blocker. It stops the remote from, from changing the channel. It, it, it's, it's unfortunate. I was, people got to a... be more aware.
2: I was at a bar the other day, and I walked in, and I sat at the bar, and I wanted to watch the Cubs game. They didn't have the Cubs game on. They had, they actually had MLB Network on, which was Dodgers Reds. And I sat down, and I was like, I asked, I said, "Is there any way we get the Cubs game on here?" I don't know if anybody's watching this Dodgers Red game. And then you know she went around and asked other the other guys that were there, Are "You guys watch this game?" They're like, "No." So they put it on. I'm like, but I, you know, you got to make sure that somebody else isn't watching something before you change the channel on it.
0: Yeah, the lack of situational awareness. Yeah. Was Especially my the problem Cubs. there? Oof, that's yeah, bad. and you know, it wasn't a situation where I went and I and I asked her to put on the game. If the right. game was live, I don't mind doing that. Spring training, whatever, you know. If it was on, great. If not, no problem. But I didn't like the optics of turning off a Matt Mervis at bat. I still don't know how that at bat ended, so uh, I'll let the mystery sort of lie there. But I'm eager to see more of him this spring.
2: Speaking of Mervis, um, one thing I do want to say: watching him earlier on uh, the week, he hit a ball. That I'm not sure which game it was, but I'm. It made me really mad that we don't have like statcast for these free trading games mm. because that was one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen. That it was, it was a grounder. He just smashed it straight to the ground, hit it right at the first baseman, and the ball ate up the first like just. Bounced off the first baseman as hard as it was, and flew over to the second baseman. And Mervis, and it was a hit. I mean, Mervis. I mean, Father wanted to call it an error because it was hit the first baseman. But that ball must have been hit like 110 miles an hour at least. That first base had no chance at handling
0: that grounder. And I was like, "Holy hell, he smoked that ball!" Yeah. Uh, And it's weird that they don't have those numbers at least available to us in these spring games. We've got some gripes, folks, about these spring training broadcasts. Even though we're happy that they're on, we will get to that in a minute. But I want to stay on the active roster for a moment. Uh, Spring training, that means inevitably injuries are going to start to pop up. And there's one really bad one for the Cubs right now. Last week on the show, we were praising Seiya Suzuki. We said, man, he looks great. This is a guy, maybe he pushes 20, 25. Could he get to 30 home runs? This year is the everyday Cubs right fielder. Now there's considerable doubt that he will not be ready for opening day. The problem, oblique tightness. It's listed as a moderate strain. He's withdrawn from the World Baseball Classic, so no Team Japan for him anymore. And Jed comes out and says, well, he's probably not going to be ready for opening day. This is a total disaster here. Let's say he's out. Worst case scenario, he's not ready for the season opener with the Brewers. Who's the starting right fielder?
2: Uh oh, the study right fielder, I, I I don't know. You might see here, they were trying Patrick Wisdom. They were gonna talk about putting him in left field for a, a bit, and he's been, you know, hurt. So uh I they were, I I'm not you working on I think you gotta go with. I mean, maybe you put Bellinger over there and you put Morel back in center field. Like I, I think that might be your option.
1: You know, for me, give Brendan Davis all the opportunity in the world to try and win that job. I and mean, we we know he's better in a corner. I think the thing this year was that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of uh, room for him to win playing time in the corners. You have Hap entrenched there and left, and you had say, Suzuki entrenched there and right. And you didn't really want him on the active roster to just sit and play one or two times a week, and he's not – He's not a true center fielder. I know he's played some there in the minors, but he probably profiles better as a corner. Give him every opportunity to try and win that right field job. He's already on the 40-man roster. The the clock is kind of ticking for him that prospect shine is off of him a little bit according to a lot of the lists because of the back injury last year. Give him every opportunity to win that to win that job. See what you have in him because that will inform a lot of what you do going forward. So I know Jeremy mentioned that David Ross had mentioned that Patrick Wisdom was a potential candidate to play right field, and that clears up your third base picture a little bit. Give Brennan Davis every opportunity to win that job because I think that's I think that benefits the team, even just giving him that look. I think that benefits the team more going forward than automatically putting Patrick Wisdom out there out of position.
2: Yeah, I I I I don't think Brennan Davis is gonna be um called up i i think they would unless he has like a monster you know spring training that i think they're giving that to chance to prove it in iowa i think more likely you know i think they do have some options that that they would use before they go there i mean nelson velasquez is still on this roster too so like mm-hmm. he's gonna get a lot of outfield time uh if say a suzuki can't can't um uh go at the start of this season which it sounds like you know he might not be ready till may at the earliest so who knows um but uh yeah i i I just don't see that happening. I, I think, you know, you'll see Velasquez, you'll see morale. And then if who knows what's going to happen with Wisdom with this groin issue. Unfortunately, he hasn't been out there to see if we can play him in the outfield.
1: Don't forget Velasquez is going to be leaving the team very shortly if he, you know, within the next few days in order to join Team Puerto Rico for the WBC. Now, that doesn't hurt his chances. I know we've gone over this. That doesn't hurt his chances as much as it might because he's still going to be playing against high level competition, but he's still not going to be in camp for the duration of Puerto Rico's tenure in the WBC. I'm aware they have options before Davis, and I'm aware they're probably not apt to have him break camp with the team, but just among the potential options, that's the most interesting to me.
0: I agree. It's the most interesting. I'm also a little bit disappointed in Jeremy. Noted Jackson Frazier, diehard fan. I thought you dropped the Mike Talkman in there. Maybe he earns uh, my spot Tauchman. as a yeah, right fielder out for the there. Cubs.
2: Yeah. I forgot about Mike Talkman. they were interviewing today about coming home. And playing in the in the you know back with the st- I just, I, I I think you give like I'm assuming sure Talkman will probably get some playing time, after, but I, I'm assuming you know you still want to see what Nelson Velasquez has, the AFL superstar from a, a year ago. So I think there's a lot of guys that are also interesting that the Cubs can throw out there in the outfield.
1: Well, I think if you have two teams in Chicago with Arlington Heights guys on the roster, uh, you're pretty much unstoppable. So. Uh, Talkman, yeah, he has that homeboy factor going for him. Again, you, you can't stop Arlington Heights. The Bears knew this when they took Cole Komet. The, clearly the Cubs knew this when they gave Talkman a chance to come home. So you, you certainly have to consider that factor.
0: Well, the problem, too, with oblique injuries, they're very annoying. They nag, they stay on, and they absolutely zap the power from a hitter. So we're talking about can Suzuki get to 25 home runs or more, really going to be a problem if he's got this lingering injury and if he misses a month plus of the season. Seems like a very hard no that that's going to happen. The other problem with it is there's not a whole lot you can do for it other than resting and a little bit of physical therapy. It's not like he's going in and having a surgery or something at this time. You know, This is an annoying injury, and this is one that I really hope is not hanging over his head all season, but certainly the type of injury that may be lingering with him during the course of the year.
1: There are three injuries and there's one for kind of each position group that you just never want to hear for a pitcher. You never want to hear forearm tightness because that's often a precursor to something a lot worse in the elbow for uh, uh, you know any any player. Um, But more specifically, any position player, you never want to hear high ankle sprain because those are things that linger. And oblique is like the upper body version of a high ankle sprain. It lingers. You have to let it heal the entire way, because if you rush back, you're apt to re-injure it worse and be out for longer. It's just one of those injuries you never want to hear. And unfortunately, say I got bitten by the oblique bug. Yeah, oh.
0: I, this is off topic, Jeremy. I'm going to interrupt you to be an idiot for, for a minute. No, Rambo, I, what I prefer that. You never want to hear from me when your text lights up and it's two in the morning and you see my name on
1: it. We don't have enough time in all the world for that <laughs> answer.
2: <laughs> I was just gonna say about I think it's smart that they're letting it heal. I mean it's free training, let him sit down. he's not gonna go to the world baseball classic, let him take all the time in the world he needs if it's six eight weeks let him let him do that get get all the way don't don't force him don't don't try to force him on the way back sooner. I think that's smart i do I do think about though we all noted about how he showed up you know like a lot bulkier right this year into camp and i'm wondering how much that might have played into you know carrying all that extra muscle that extra weight maybe not being as loose as flexible into straining um uh that that oblique uh that he has so i don't know i'm not a doctor or or anything but uh, it's something that crossed my mind about how we like oh yeah he was looking a little bit more jacked, but maybe that kind of played into this
1: injury jeremy it's definitely not just you Um, As soon as the news of that injury broke, my first thought was that he overdid it weight training uh, over the winter and that ended, you know, that you favor one thing and you end up injuring another. But like you said, the very worst thing that Seiya could do, the very worst thing that the team could do is to try and come back before he's absolutely healed because... With an oblique, the only thing that's going to happen if you try and do that is you're going to re-injure it, you're going to re-injure it worse, and you're going to be out for even longer. So the very worst thing they could do, and the very worst thing he could do, would be try and come back before it's completely healed, which sucks, it's unfortunate, we were all excited about him, we were hoping for big things, and now it's, you know, you just hope he can get back at some point later this spring.
0: And we're all robbed of getting to see him play for Team Japan, which was going to be so fun. I was excited, like, all right, middle of spring training. We get to see him out there doing his thing. It stinks all the way around. Stinks for the big league Cubs. It stinks for those of us that are into the World Baseball Classic.
2: Stinks for Seiya Suzuki. I'm sure he wanted to be yes. out there playing for Team Japan and the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely so it
0: stinks, stinks for,
1: him. for him. But for Mike Talkman, opportunity yeah. knocks. Opportunity for the Arlington Knights, kid. As long as it doesn't knock on his oblique
0: potential opening day right fielder for the Cubs. We'll keep an eye on that. Two other injuries of note, although not that significant. Jeremy, you mentioned earlier, Patrick Wisdom, the groin tinkering a little bit, bothering him. So hopefully he can get that figured out sooner rather than later. I hope nobody's
1: tinkering with, with his groin like that. That doesn't sound good. His
0: groin is tinkering with itself. I think that's the problem, Randall. This one is scary at the outset. Justin Steele complaining of general arm fatigue. Anytime a pitcher's mentioning a problem with the arm, you get worried. The good news, we will see him tomorrow, Friday, March 3rd. So he'll be pitching. Not surprising, Randall, for a guy to get arm fatigue at this point of spring training.
1: Yeah, you know, it it comes up for a lot of guys. John Lester, Jake Arrieta both went through with the so-called dead arm Period in spring training, and it's it's frightening every year because you never want to hear that a guy is experiencing dead arm or everyone's least favorite military officers' general soreness and general arm fatigue. But it's just something that happens to pitchers as they start to ramp back up. The arm just has to catch up a little bit. You know, if it better it pop up now. In fact, because it would be even more worrisome if it would pop up in two or three weeks. But yeah, like you said, it sounds like he's on track to make his his first start. Will. You know, hold our breath a little bit as he gets into that start. Make sure we don't get the update that he's been scratched again. We'll hold our breath to see how he com- feels coming out of it. But it sounds like they kind of anticipated this. They had him getting stretched out. So fingers crossed. Hold your breath. Hopefully it's not something that lingers. But like you said, it's the, so far it's the least worrisome of the injuries. It's yeah. definitely, you know, when when he was scheduled
2: to pitch, he was scheduled to, to pitch at a Cactus League game and you find out he has – Uh, an arm fatigue and that's always definitely a scary moment and uh, when you see it come across the Twitter wire the Twitter feed and uh, you know I feel like we've been seeing that a lot uh, so far early this spring it's like the Cubs have released a lot of lineups that have had players in it that they've scratched like patrick wisdom has basically been scratched every day it's like they release a lineup wisdom's in it then they scratch him and he's out and it happened with steel it's happened with suzuki um you know i I would like to see them not scratch a lineup sooner rather than later so so we get some healthy guys in there but yeah i'm hopeful steel will make his next start and uh we'll see justin steel we're all uh excited to see because i think he's gonna have a big year too
0: Yep, we're, we'll be watching. Uh, injuries are not just impacting the Cubs, although injuries with other teams could affect the 26-man roster. Two big ones out of the National League West. Let's start here in Denver. Big news, breaking news across the local journalists here in Denver. Brendan Rogers, the starting second baseman for the Colorado Rockies, a guy that already has a National League gold glove under his belt, dives for a ball yesterday, and he has really messed up his shoulder. The news today for the Rockies, it's even worse, and it seems very likely that he is going to be out for the year. So second base, suddenly a giant question mark. This is a 25-year-old guy that was going to be the everyday second baseman for the Rockies. The best second baseman now on their roster is their starting third baseman, Ryan McMahon. So they've got a problem here on the infield. Naturally, the Cubs come up as, okay, maybe there's a potential move here. David Bodie, the local Colorado guy, can play second base and third base. He's got some power. Nick Madrigal, potentially a guy that could be moved for the Cubs. He could play second base. You could envision a world where the Rockies are like his high contact skills could play very well at Coors Field. Do you think there's some
1: smoke here that maybe one of these Cubs extra infielders could end up in Denver? Absolutely. The Cubs have a glut of middle infielders, like you said, um, and some of them are occupying 40-man spots that could very well be used on other players. I have to think that Jed is – kind of respectfully on the phone you know you don't want to seem opportunistic be like hey your guy just got injured what can we offer you but oh, i have I to imagine well yeah you do you know that's I, that's, yeah, that's
0: i want i want the, the gm the director of baseball ops to be very very much chomping at the bit there sure, and sure you're chomping the at the bit
1: but you know respectfully but absolutely you have this glut of middle infielders and i think madrigal's game would play perfectly at cores we know the, the brand of uh pinball baseball that's played there the outfielders have to play deep uh, to try and take away slug, but everything falls in in front of them. Magical could go there. He could win himself a Lemayhu batting title where he just hits a bunch of dinks into the outfield that fall in front of the various outfielders. I think his game would play excellently at Coors. I have to think that Jed is already, Ronan. I'm going to use one of your favorite words here, percolating. Oh, I have yeah. to think Jed is already percolating. You know, Here's what we can offer you. Here's our reasonable return. And I would not be at all surprised to see in uh, another week, two weeks or so, however long it takes for uh, the Rockies and another team we'll discuss in a second to kind of evaluate internally, I would not be at all surprised to see the Cubs uh, trading from this surplus of middle infielders.
2: I, yeah, I, I agree. I do think that the Rockies and the Cubs would match up pretty well on a trade. I I, I think that it would happen and I don't think it would happen sooner. I think it would be much later towards the end of spring training towards the start of the season. I think you, you, you'd still want to see every, how everything shakes out in both camps, you know, with those, with their prospects and players and seeing who they have, but you know, for the Rockies, they got a left fielder, you know, who's historically played third base. So you could bring him back in and put McMahon over the second. Now you got to find a left fielder.
1: Now, Ronan, you follow the Rockies, the closest of any of the three of us, I'd say it's a, a very, very wide gulf there of the guys that the Cubs could potentially trade. Who do you think would be the best fit for the Rockies? And then maybe more subjectively, who would you, who do you think who would you prefer the Rockies acquire if that's a different answer?
0: I want longmont's very own David Bodie to come back to his home state just because of the power right? For years, we've been saying he hits the ball hard, but he hasn't really found his stride in Chicago. Bring him back home. Maybe he hits, what if he hits 30 home runs for the Colorado Rockies this year, and they get to that goal of a 500 record, which Dick Monford said was sort of the goal coming into this year for the team. I'd like to see that. I, I don't know that Nick Madrigal <clears throat> that is going to work for any team. David Bodie's the more intriguing player to me because he can play both spots in the infield, and he's got that pop.
2: He, to me, I mean, once again, it's a week so far, but I thought he's looked pretty good so far. The opportunities yeah. he's gotten in spring training, he hit, he hit a bomb the other day. Like he crushed the ball, out of the ballpark. And it was, it was pretty like when he hit that and I was like, Oh man, that's gone. Uh, so yeah, David Bodie, I would love to see him uh, again, opportunity, at least somewhere, I, you know, at some point it might not work out for the Cubs, but he's still hitting those balls hard. Like I, he hit a bomb
0: the other day and I was pretty impressed. Five hits in five games for David Bodie. No strikeouts. And yeah. look, we're talking about a week of spring training right. games. I'm not trying to oversell this. Just Yeah, this is a guy that we were looking forward to seeing this year, and he's letting it rip up to this point. Maybe he's a Rocky in a couple of weeks. The other injury in the West here, the Dodgers lose Gavin Lux for the season. ACL injury there, so a big blow for them. Uh, speaking of the Dodgers, though, Jay Hay big home run out to right field the other day did that hurt Randall to see that or were you happy for him
1: I didn't actually see it uh, but it, it doesn't hurt at all he's he's you know he's getting his money he's trying to make it work with another team good for him I have nothing to say about Jason Hayward and nothing bad to say I should say I got plenty to say about Jason Hayward I got nothing bad to say about Jason Hayward and uh, unlike certain other former 2016 heroes he hasn't a whole lot to say about the Cubs which I'm perfectly fine with um yeah so Rona do you have any predictions? about Jason Hayward you'd like to put on the record? Any any bets you want to put down on Jason Hayward for the season? 35 home runs, there National you go.
0: League MVP. There you go. The Dodgers go. win the pennant. There we go. And then they win the World Series.
1: You heard now, it here I, first.
0: I don't think he's making the Major League roster for the Dodgers, but I was happy. I heard that he homered. I went online. I typed in his name because you know the clip's going to be out there. And, hey, he knocked the ball out of the ballpark. Good for him.
1: And good, Jason Hayward wearing number 23 in Dodgers camp. He's got that MJ number on his back. You know, that has to feel good for him. I, I,
0: yeah, he
2: hit that ball pretty well, but I, everybody's going on and on about like the new swing, new Hayward, all this stuff. And I was like, it didn't look nope. that different than <laughs> no. many balls he's hit as a cup. Like he hit some balls off a eat one off Josh Hader, that one we talked about with Aaron Adam Morgan, uh, Randall. Like those looked pretty similar to that hit he hit there. And uh, I, I hope he succeeds, but I didn't really see much different. Like he's always had, uh, sometimes he's hit well, and sometimes more, most times he hasn't.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, you know, I, I said I had nothing bad to say about Jason Hayward. This may renege on that just a little bit. I'm kind of glad we're not doing another spring of, wow, is Hayward going to have a big year this <laughs> year? I'm kind of glad it's someone else's problem. Now the Dodgers yeah. fans can worry about that to whatever extent they are concerned about with, but nothing, nothing but the best for Jason Hayward. I never, never have a truly bad word to say about him.
2: I will say about the Dodgers, like the Dodgers are probably a position. They haven't been in, in a decade. Like I, they're, I don't think the Dodgers are the favorites in their division. And they're not, they might not even be like super close to their favorites. Uh, so like the Dodgers the have some issues. Yeah, they got to play the Rockies, you know. Dodgers have some issues. Like, when I was looking up, you know, the Fangrass projections, like the Dodgers are projected to be the seventh best team in Major League Baseball. I, I assume it's been a long time since they project anywhere outside the top two or three uh,
0: best teams in Major League Baseball. So, uh, Dodgers, they're in a little bit different place than they've normally been. Yep, so Jeremy taking the Padres in the National League West. We'll get our predictions here in a couple of weeks prior to opening day. But uh, injuries starting to mount up across baseball. This will lead to some trades. The Cubs potentially could be in on that. And um, speaking of the Rockies, just really quickly, KB – Not one, but two bombs this week. And Rocky's media, and I follow a lot of them just being here, they're all in on Chris Bryant. What a difference it makes when he's healthy. We're all pulling for him. We want him to be healthy. I'd love to see him hit 30 home runs this year at Coors Field. i will be at a ton of those games. But good for KB off to a nice start.
1: You want to talk about a swing that hasn't changed. How many times were we fortunate enough to see that swing and Chris Bryant deposit a baseball on the then newly christened video boards out there? I, I kind of miss that a little bit.
2: That yeah. home run, I think it was the second home run. Yeah. That ball was crushed. I mean, that just—they kept going. They're using the kids like running up the berm. It's like where is over, it landing on over the concourse. concourse? Over. I could not believe how far that ball went. So I think it's been a long time since Chris Bryant hit a ball like that. So that that's good to see. You know, good good for him. I'm sure he's happy out there in Colorado. He picked, you know, he made his decisions where he wants to be. He got paid a ton, and uh, good for him. If he uh, hopefully has a,
1: a successful year with the Rockies. Uh, Chris, so. Bryant and Jason, Chris Bryant and Jason Hayward battling it out for the 2023 NL MVP.
0: Would be something. Uh, I noticed. I was looking at the Rocky schedule. Cubs are here in September. I knew that. I'm looking forward to that. Cardinals are here at the beginning of April. So very early on in the year, I'm going to get a chance to get my first couple of boos, not just in me, but out of me at the mm-hmm. St. Louis Cardinals. Talk mm-hmm. about booing mm-hmm. at them, Randall. Uh, looking forward to that, though. Always fun. Not, to, out to Booing Cooper. Wilson? Booing Wilson after the comments? No, you know, here's what I'm going to do for Wilson. He gets a single clap, one single loud clap, just like a loud slapper. And then from then on, I hope he goes over four with four strikeouts. Go Rockies. Those are the games that I have no problem unapologetically just screaming and rooting for the Rockies. And I'll be out there in right field or something having a good time. At Coors feels it's I'm just so ready. I've been walking by the ballpark the last couple of days. You're very slowly starting to see it come together. The concourses are beginning to fill up. They've got the lights on at night. In the next week or so, the video board's gonna be fired up again. You start to hear the walk-up music. It's gonna be cool. I'm really excited for games to be back here just four weeks from now.
1: Is Dinger ready? Is he doing his stretches? Because you don't want to lose Dinger until mid-May with that oblique injury, especially because Dinger is 65 million years old. Those injuries are going to linger. If So tell Dinger that he needs to stretch so he doesn't get too sores. Oh,
0: Oh, man, Randall. Wow. A long (laughs) way for that joke. Well, we've been watching games on TV here, and we're all happy baseball's back. We're excited to be watching Cubs baseball. But to be honest with you guys... I got some gripes about the broadcast up to this point. I want to talk about that for a minute, and then I want to talk about the pitch clock and how that has changed what we've seen in spring training games. But broadcast itself, Jeremy, you were the first to note this, and then Randall and I eventually got to a feed and saw it later in the day on Saturday. The marquee feed looks awful. It, I'm watching other spring training games. Bright, nice crystal clear picture. We get to Sloan Park, and it's like they're underwater. What's going on here? It looks terrible watching these games on My Roku.
2: The filter looks like it looks dirty. It's like you're looking at something like dirty. on. The, it's just yeah. the it's the screen. It's just I I thought like, you know, I, I watched often, you know, I you get a little bit better picture through the app or whatever, I think. And so I was watching it through the app, and I, I was flipping through with the other games of the other leagues. I'm like, you know, I'm watching these earlier games, Grapefruit League games, and the picture's clear and sunny and looks beautiful out there. I'm like, I should be out there. And then I put on marquee, and I just – I don't understand. The filter looks bad. Uh, I will say it has been like, it seems like drab and dreary in Arizona this week. Not that, um, so like kind of gray and cold, but I I have not been impressed so far by, hopefully it's just the cameras they have down there in Arizona.
1: Yeah, that's my hope is that it's just the cameras and, you know, a little bit of white balancing, a little bit of fiddling with them will fix it. You know, I didn't see... I haven't seen any games live. I've seen one game live. And, you know, you, the two of you are telling me, well, I'm not watching. Oh, these cameras look terrible. I'm thinking, oh, how bad could it possibly be? I turn on the replay and the, the colors are saturated improperly. The, the the camera, it's just not good. And I'm like, wow, I, I see what you mean now. Uh, again, th- these are Sloan Park cameras. Um, you, you'd hope that the, the cameras at Wrigley are perfectly fine after a long winter. Ronan, you know better than I would. Do those cameras get just weatherproofed and stay there all winter or did they they get they're removed. Okay. Yeah. That's what I figured, but you know, you hope the cameras at the the big league ballparks are in better shape, but yeah, the marquee broadcasts, they just haven't looked good so far, but uh, the, the, the age old adage it's spring training for everyone, including if they sounded good to you, Randall, broadcasters you know uh, boog boog and uh and the other guy boog and jd there we go they're fine they're they're already they're already back in it Uh, jd still funny boog still doing his thing i will say and you know this is kind of unique and it kind of self-inflicted in that i was watching a replay of the game because i just wanted to see the baseball that badly but there was an inning in last saturday's game and maybe it's because it was the first spring training game whatever but they spent the entire inning with Taylor McGregor talking to players in the dugout. And they spent it two players. So half in on one player, half on the other player. She finished with one player, and she finally sends it back to the booth. And I'm like, thank goodness. And 10 seconds later, they <laughs> kick it back down to her again. And I audibly out loud went, oh, God, like like Ron Santo, <laughs> uh, just because she, she found another player to go bother. Again, I acknowledge it's spring. I acknowledge that you know when the 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 big guys come out of the game, maybe it's not the most interesting thing to the so-called casual fan that a guy at double A is in the game, and you feel like you have to fill that kind of spring training dead air. But please don't let this carry over to the regular season. And I, I know she's not going to be interviewing players in the dugout, in the regular season, but they find all these other distractions to yibbits about during the game. I'm saying just keep it on the game. It's a major league baseball game. The, 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 the worst major league baseball game is still moderately more interesting than Taylor McGregor interviewing a guy's third grade teacher from the other team because <laughs> that's what they think people want to see or holding up a, a piece of goalpost that they found while they were excavating Wrigley to put in new grass. Just, just focus on the game, show us the game, call the game. If you need a distraction once every three or four innings, that's fine. Once per game, don't do it every inning. Every time they say, let's send it down to Taylor McGregor, I cringe inwardly. Cause I'm just like, Oh God, <laughs> what now?
2: Is that, well, first of all, Yibits. Wow. What a word. Does uh, that one yes. um, Taylor asked, where you watch? Was it this the game or interview? When Taylor asked Dansby uh, if he liked
1: playing with his pants down, it was Saturday's game. She did ask him that, and uh, Boog and JD were giving her a little bit of ribbing for that. Uh, but yes, it was that game, and this is what happens when you spend the entire the entire inning interviewing guys: is you get these unintentional flubs, which are funny, but you could also like not interview guys and then they don't happen in the first place.
2: Well, it wasn't it wasn't a flub because he because because. Dampy said first that he was playing with his pants down. He uh, did. He did say he did. that. He he said she, it first. It. she just repeated what he said. She did. So, <laughs> she did do that. Uh, he was talking and about, you yeah. know, there
1: was, I don't mean to pile on Taylor. I really don't. There was a, a bit early or might've been the Sunday game. The only one I've been able to watch start to finish where she, uh, I guess has proclaimed herself the FOMO police where she worries that uh, Boog and JD are hanging out without her and that she's missing out on it and I'm just sitting there thinking god this shit writes itself it, it's just it, it, the broadcasts have been a little too gibbetsy there's that word again Jeremy gibbetsy <laughs> it's like it's like Pat and Ron the words got kind of a wet smell to it they um well she I. that is one thing that annoys me is when she kind of just
2: pipes in uh, at random points in the broadcast it's like where did Taylor come from like why is she uh, but I, you know I've, I've watched a few games this week and I've heard a few different combinations of broadcasters i the other day we had jd doing play-by-play with kumar in the booth and i was like "This the is color kind of guys fun. are
1: taking over it's colored was
2: it wasn't like an amazing game like jd you know he was competent he was much better than Coomer, whatever it was doing play-by-play but i kind of enjoyed it just listening to jd and Coomer, uh both of them and then today they had pat who you know i love pat and everything but pat is definitely a radio guy. He's a radio guy. Everything, the way he announced, he's not a TV guy. He's He talks, he doesn't let the action kind of happen on the screen because he's always describing everything. And I'm like, and it was funny to me because I mentioned this earlier to you guys. Uh, They were down, they had, Hosmer had an earpiece in and then, you know, they're always trying to ask questions to the players and stuff like that. It took Pat like a half an hour to get this question out while you're trying to, you have Hosmer on the split screen be like, okay, get to the question because Pat was trying to ask him about the World Series play, but he had to describe like where Hosmer scored from third, uh, you know, to tie to tie the game. It was a huge play with the Royals and the the Mets, and Pat had to describe like every aspect of the play like a radio broadcast. And I'm like Pat, just ask the questions so we can get you know continue to, to discuss. And obviously, that's not something probably Pat's used to talking to players during a game. I I wonder how many times he's ever done it. So uh, I just was like, okay, Pat, you're great on the radio, but. TV might not be your your style.
1: Well, Pat Hughes is decompressed storytelling. You know he'll, he'll yeah. get there when he gets there, and that's what you can do when you're a Hall of Famer. Uh, Jeremy, you said, JD competent play-by-play guy. I mean, he's gotten to spend years sitting next to Len Casper and now Boo Shambi. so he's he's certainly sat next to two guys who you could do a lot worse than observing if you're gonna you know try and hone your 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 spot starter play-by-play skill. So I'd hope I would hope he's picked up a few things here and there. Yeah, he's been a broadcaster
2: for like, I mean, you got to remember all that time in Houston too. Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah, so, so he, but he, um, yeah, he was fine. He, he didn't make any tremendous mistakes. He was able to, you know, call the game as it went on. It didn't, you know, he was, he was. It obviously wasn't like a professional at calling the game, but like he did a pretty good job, I thought. And, you know, completely different than Ron Coomer, who was, we all know yeah. what Coomer yeah. was like on the radio. And Coomer even joked about it. He goes, you know, there was a brief period I used to take over for Pat, but it <laughs> kind of went away. But I thought I turned the game on and I heard JD coming back from the uh, the commercial. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that JD's taking us back to the commercial. And then Ron's voice came on. I'm like, wait, it's Ron and JD. Uh,
0: so that was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I gotta check that out. I'd be eager to hear JD's strikeout call or his home run call, some of the other plays that maybe happened there. Uh, the other obvious thing other than greeny TV footage has been there's a pitch clock in Major League Baseball now. And what I thought has been very interesting about this is even though television networks knew this was coming, there was not a consensus on how you're gonna incorporate the pitch clock into the broadcast. Awful announcing had an awesome tweet earlier in the week. They had screenshots from four different games and it's like, okay, this is how Marquee is doing it. This is how Bally's Midwest is doing it. This is how Nesson is doing it. And every station right now is trying to figure out what is the optimal way to incorporate a pitch clock into the broadcast. We'll see how that plays out. The other thing is the impact of a pitch clock is already a drastic change in the game. Randall, if you went to a Major League Baseball game in 1910, you're in and out of the ballpark in under two hours. You go to a game last year, it's over three hours. In fact, in the last decade, baseball games have extended to over three hours. Since implementing the pitch clock here in spring training, we've taken 30 minutes off of these baseball games. We've gone back 40 years to the length of a game that it was in 1980. Putting on baseball this last week, there have been a couple times i have been like, holy crap, slowed out a little bit. The pitcher just gets the ball and fires it. This is jarring watching this, but maybe a good thing for the sport.
1: But you know what? I, I never felt like games were too long in person. Um, you go to the ballpark to enjoy yourself at the ballpark. And I don't know that I'm I don't know that I go there for the experience to be over faster. I like sitting there at Wrigley. I like sitting there at ball games. Now, granted, MLB is not doing this for me. MLB does not care about me. MLB knows that they're getting my money because they've got me hooked by the nose. And they have for many decades and they will continue to do so, I hope, for many decades. They don't care about me. They care about you know sixteen year olds seventeen year olds they care about kids younger than that they They want them to have this uh, as a nice snappy experience and I suppose in that regard it is working. You said we've shaved huge amounts of time yeah. off of these games well um, I'm more interested to see how that translates in a regular season game where you don't just have guys getting their work in, where you have a lot of things that are different. I'm not stating anything particularly noteworthy here. I'm more curious to see how that affects the time of a uh, a regular season game before I make any grand proclamations about it. But like you said, it's jarring to have these games over two hours. When was the last time you could count on a baseball game being two hours? And it's one thing
0: the length of the game, but the pace of the game is the other side of it, where things are just happening faster. There's less downtime. I saw an at-bat from the Pirates game today. It was a three-pitch strikeout. The entire at-bat from the batter stepping into the batter's box and the pitcher throwing the first pitch was under 30 seconds. I have never seen a batter on three pitches strikeout in less than half a minute. That is not at all what we've been used to seeing watching big league games.
2: Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Randall, if you – uh. If you have a, uh, you want to stay at Wrigley longer, uh, maybe you can just sit in your seat another extra half hour after the game ends. You get that full
1: experience of well, the ushers. Know, the ushers game. won't allow that. We know we know what those ushers are like. Uh, Soon as yeah. the song ends, they tell you you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But uh, I uh, or or you, between every
2: pitch, you can if you're watching it, you can pause, wait like a minute, play. Uh, but you know, I mean, I saw one the other day uh, where they had the uh, Pedro Bias from the 2016 NLCS against David Ross, they had an entire half inning pretty much played in the time. It took Pedro Bias to throw one pitch to David Ross. He got three outs uh, landed neck pitched for the Dodgers. in It's free training this year because Pedro bias just standing there. He's stepping off. He's looking at first. I mean, the, the disengagement rules could be a big part of this too. Cause he's stepping off. He's looking at first base. He's looking at second base. It took him a minute and a half to throw like a lot more than that. It took him a while to throw one pitch. So I've been a fan of it. I think the pace is great. You get there, you throw, you know, we were seeing more action like right away. I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of how it's worked. I I think it's, you know, all the kinks are going to have to work itself out. We've seen some pitch clock violations call. We've seen some confusion on the field, but you know, guys will adjust guys. will get used to it. And I think it's, I think it's good for the game. I think, you know, this is what the game used to look like. It, it's only been recently that it's been so drawn out. Every, every pitch has been a thing. Like, it's been kind of like, we had need to focus. It used to be, guy got the ball, he pitched the ball. That's how baseball was for like 100 plus years. And I think it's good to start to move the game back in that
0: direction. I hope so. Um, it's jarring at first. The players are getting used to it. Like you said, violations on both sides of it. Weird endings to games too is... This stuff is going to get itself figured out. But as a fan of watching games on TV, it's very funny to me to watch these producers try and figure out, do we show the clock? Do we put a digital clock in the score bug? Do we put a camera on the physical clock and put it in a corner of the screen? You know, it's very rare that we get to see a rule change like this that has a drastic impact on the score bug. Score bugs change network to network. They change from year to year. You see subtle differences like that. But now you've got a rule change. And three months from now, the networks are going to figure it out. And this is going to be something that it will just be part of the broadcast. Like the yellow lines have been part of football broadcasts for decades now at this point. So it's cool to watch this play out. I hope they get it right. But in the meantime, watching pitchers adjust to it, batters adjust to it, it adds one more interesting wrinkle to the spring.
1: Something that occurred to me today as I was brainstorming, you know, ideas for our pod tonight uh, in football, you have the play clock and you have referees who give certain quarterbacks an extra second. Sometimes after that play clock expires, we all go, the play clock was expired. Why, why don't you call that on them? I'm wondering if we're going to get to that point with the pitch clock here. With I know the umpires have a device that buzzes on their wrist when that pitch clock hits zero. I'm wondering how much subjectivity is going to work its way into officiating that? Uh, you know, if we the the more and the more that we have access to that clock in front of us, the more we're going to wonder, hey, why didn't you call that? Why didn't you give that guy? Uh, why did Why did you give that guy an extra second? Whether it's the batter for the or the pitcher, I think this is mean at the moment, making up something to to get mad at. But I am curious as to how the subjectivity of Jeremy. Stop laughing at me. I see you. I, I am curious <laughs> as to how the subjectivity of officiating is going to play into this. I think that's maybe the third or fourth most important thing about this, but I am curious if we're going to get to that point where if we have a crystal clear look at the clock and we see it expire and a guy hasn't thrown a pitch yet, I'm curious if we're going to get to that point of saying, hey, he should have been called for a violation there.
2: I'm definitely enjoying Randall already preemptively looking for reasons to get pissed off at the
1: umpires <laughs> well if the well, umpires would stop giving for, me reasons to be pissed off at them i wouldn't uh, start i wouldn't start looking for more. I, I think
2: jd mentioned this on a broadcast actually kind of like or maybe with somebody i saw it somewhere where somebody mentioned say you know there's going to be a point where maybe the buzzer breaks down or it doesn't work because sometimes technology doesn't work and the number is going to hit zero and everybody in the stadium is going to be the numbers hit zero but the buzzer didn't go off say on the umpires uh chess that will be an issue at some point so randall is already going to be there and he's gonna be tweeting out about it already so i'm looking yeah. forward to those pre-written tweets that have already been apparently composed
0: jeremy uh, refresh my memory here was it carl malone at the free throw line back in the day remember how slow it was yeah. for him to it was carl malone right that's the guy i'm thinking of where think at the he united to, center they used to count down yeah like in the finals because you, you, I think the rule at the time, and I have no idea what the rule is right now in the NBA, I think you had 10 seconds from when you got the ball from the official to when you had to release the free throw shot, and he was there 15, 16, 17 seconds, and the fans at the UC were going nuts. Maybe we see that out at the ballpark this summer.
2: Yeah, I mean, you'll see fans counting down, maybe like you know, like a shot clock in an NBA game, like you're talking about, um, that you know you never saw before. <laughs> like you get the, everybody regularly, you'll be three, two, you know, you never seen really seen a clock like that as a part of baseball before. But but just to go back to your other, um, point that you brought up before, all this is like it is kind of interesting to see like the broadcasts that are kind of shooting this kind to go back to like the NBA, like like a '90s or '80s NBA game where they're just tightly. You know camera shot on the on the clock and putting that just on the screen as opposed to working in like mark diaz into the score bug on the graphic i
0: am like uh, i'm like i thought we left that behind a little bit just filming the actual pitch clock i thought producers would be more prepared we've known that this is coming i i've been very surprised it's been as janky as it has been but they've got a month to get that figured out Uh, i have to mention this the happiest that i've seen randall in a very long time we've had a couple of losing cub seasons here in a row Earlier in spring training, Orioles-Pirates earlier this week, they decided to go back out for the bottom of the ninth inning even though the game was technically over at that point. They wanted to get some young guys, a couple of extra at-bats and things on the mound. They took the field with no umpires. Randall, you must have been on top of the world going, this is the dream. No umpires out there calling balls and strikes.
1: Uh, To my deepest regret, I only heard about this in passing as it happened. But boy, talk about the future of baseball. You know, one of my favorite phrases, we have evolved beyond the need for whatever. Clearly, baseball has evolved beyond the need for umpires. We have shown it can be played without umpires. You have this Orioles catcher, Maverick Handley, which is a great name, calling balls and strikes. You know, He's the catcher calling balls and strikes for his own pitcher like on the schoolyard let's just do that the umpires we don't need you anymore we can play the game without you this is proof that's the future of baseball
0: yeah and you know the scoreboard was shut out they just had the pirates logo up on the scoreboard the walk-up music was done there was no pa announcer you're absolutely right randall it was like little league ball there catcher calls his own balls and strikes none of the other stuff you get at a ball game it was actually really fun to watch that play out
2: yeah, you can actually watch. Um, they the, they were still broadcasting it on uh on the Pirates Network because the TV guys were all like, wait, "Wait, what's happening? What's going on?" Oh, they're gonna play a little more. And I I would suggest to anybody to watch those highlights. Go find them. you can find highlights on Twitter, um, of of uh, that game being called with no umpires. Uh, the funniest part to me is when the because I think they had agreed the managers can agree it before a game. We're going to play the bottom ninth. I think they did agree upon it before the game, but somehow the umpires either didn't know or got confused or something. So the umpires just walked off. (laughs) And watching the umpires just walk off, when both managers are like, "No, didn't we say we were going to play a bottom of the ninth?" And the umpires are just like, "Now we're out of here. We got dinner reservations. We're gone. We're not getting paid for this. (laughs) Exactly right. We don't get paid for the bottom of the ninth." Please, they just walked off, and the managers are like, "All right, then. Well, I guess we'll just do it ourselves." And you know, like that's how simulated games worked. Anyways, like in spring training, whatever, like the the catcher just calls the pitches. So that's how they did it. And it's pretty, it's pretty fun to watch. Anytime
1: the umpires want to, yeah. Anytime the umpires want to decide they're not getting paid enough and walk off the field, I fully support their decision.
0: I was going to say, you know, they walked off and Randall did not miss them. Didn't to no, fall ballpark. That's the clip well. I want Randall
2: to see. Just the walk, walking off, looking back, being like, "What?" <laughs> it's a good clip of seeing four major league umpires. Which, by the way, I I was always kind of taking it back. We got four umpires now in spring training games. I remember when it was two, uh, and uh, so it's
0: it's just funny to see the four umpires walk off and just kind of wave back and be like, "Now nah, we're good." Well, they need as much practice as they can get. That one for you, Randall. Uh, Lots more as this stuff plays out in spring training. We'll be watching it. Uh, One other super quick note on spring training broadcast. At least you're not the Rockies. The TV station that broadcasts the Rockies has folded. They don't know where these games are going to be come opening day. Teams already come out and said, hey, we're going to get it figured out. These games will be televised locally. But if you were a big AT&T SportsNet Rocky Mountain fan, sorry, not happening this year.
1: Ronan, that's the first, but it's not going to be the last because, of course, Sinclair, who owns uh, the Bally Sports Affiliates, who broadcast a lot of MLB, they are heading towards bankruptcy. They've already missed a uh, uh, a debt payment, an interest payment that has put them into a 30-day window. This is going to be a thing that plays out over the course of the spring and the early part of the season where you may have – you're going to have multiple teams who say – our, our RSN is now in bankruptcy and we're going to have to put something together. And, you know, I, I tend to think inertia wins out more than anything in these, e like you said, they'll get it figured out, but you're going to have a lot of teams who are in flux. The Cubs are, are insulated from this a little bit because they co-own the marquee network with Sinclair. So they still will at least half own their network. But, uh, you know, a lot of these rights are going to potentially end up back with MLB and you could have this very awkward situation where the Cubs co-own, even if briefly, their own network with MLB. And Ronan, I want to, I have to get this in. You mentioned it earlier. You mentioned uh, a screen cap from Bally Sports Midwest with the pitch clock. That is the RSN that carries the Cardinals. So I hope the numbers are really big. I hope they don't count to any numbers that are too high for any of the watchers. I just want all the Cardinals fans to be safe and be happy.
0: We'll uh, retweet that graphic because you should see it, what the different networks were doing. Awful Announcing put a screenshot together. Uh, the worst one, though, was Nesson because they have a camera on the clock embedded in the score bug. You cannot read it. There's no idea to see how many seconds are actually remaining there. Uh, and on the other hand, the Cardinals make it nice and big, Randall, for those fans. You
1: know, Nice what- Comic Sans MS numbers
0: caught my attention with regards to all this too. I was coming back from a pickup run at the Denver International Airport Sunday night, and I stopped at all places at a Bar Louie just outside Denver, and we're sitting in there, and I'm at the bar and looking across the bar, and I'm like, man, I know that guy. That guy, I definitely recognize that guy. There were three gentlemen, bigger dudes, with nice Rockies gear on. I don't mean jerseys, but like the nice polos you get if you work for the team. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh crap, that's Ryan Spielberg. He's one of the color analysts for the Colorado Rockies. And I was thinking, why is he not in spring training? Like the games have started, the telecasts have started. And I went, oh, he doesn't have a TV station to work for right now. So I'm sure they're going to get that figured out. I anticipate him and Jenny Kavnar and that crew will be ready to go. It's just not going to be on AT&T Sportsnet. And where does he spend his Sunday nights? The Bar Louie in Northfield. So uh, put that on your calendar if you want to meet Spilly. All right, let's uh, get through this here relatively quickly. One thing we've been doing over the last few weeks has been looking at fan graph projections and then taking the over the under. You cannot say, hey, those projections look right. We want to see, will this Cub player outperform or underperform their projections? So let's start here, Jeremy, with three utility players, and then we'll focus on the two catchers, the primary catchers for the Cubs this year. Nick Madrigal, a guy we said earlier today could be a Colorado Rocky in a couple of weeks. FanGraphs says 274, 321 on base, slugs 351, good for 0. 0.5 war. Jeremy, does Nick over or under that?
2: I'm going to go slightly over. I, I, Nick actually looked pretty good today when I was watching him in the game today. I mean, he had two nice hits. Um, looked like the next magical we want to see. I'm going to say slightly over. Uh, I think he's going to be healthier this year, so I think he's going to play a little bit more than he did last year. Um, but I, I think it's still going to be, I don't think he's going to be the guy we all want him to be, or we're hoping we would be, or White Sox fans were really hoping he'd be when they had him. I think he's just going to be kind of mediocre, but I'll I'll say over.
1: I will mirror Jeremy's optimism. I will take the over. It's not going to make him a great player, but I will take over on these projections.
0: I'm saying under because none of this is going to happen as a Chicago cub. He will play zero games this year as a Chicago cub, put him in Denver, maybe the over, but. For the sake of this, it's an under. He will not be playing for the Cubs this year. Another utility guy, Zach McKinstry, the former Dodger. Fangraph says 0. 0.3 war, 244, 312, 392 with three home runs. Over or under, Jeremy?
2: I'm going to go under. I mean, another guy who I was watching today and looked pretty good. He had a big ball into the gap, and uh, but I'm going to go under. I think I, I just feel like, and I know he was a trade piece the Cubs got last year. I just I think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna really last as a on this Cubs roster. I think eventually other guys are gonna force him off the roster. So I, I'm just gonna go under.
1: I will also take the under. I didn't see a whole lot last year to make me think he could produce to that level. I'll take the under.
0: I'm with you. We'll make it a clean sweep. One more utility guy, Edwin Rios, the newest Cub. Fangraph's not very optimistic he's going to do much. 216, 283, slugs 412, so a little bit of power there. Seven home runs on the year, 0.1 war. Yikes. Jeremy, over or under?
2: Uh, I'm going go over. I mean, they it does project him for a pretty big uh, strikeout. I mean, we're I think he's going to be the the complement to Patrick Wisdom. You get two guys, tons of strikeouts, but the Cubs need power. I'm going to go over. I think he's going to get a lot more plate appearances. I think, I think he's going to hit some home runs this season.
1: We'll also take the over kind of in the same way we took the over on Patrick Wisdom. I think he will get enough plate appearances that he outproduces this. Maybe not meaningfully, but I think he will. I will take the over on Edwin Rios.
0: Let's make it a clean sweep with that as well. He's going to end up getting in the lineup, especially with an injury, uh, an injury's picking up at the roster. I'll take the over and maybe he gets to 10 home runs as a Chicago Cub this year. I want to spend a little bit more time on the two catchers because these guys are going to be more everyday type guys for the Cubs. Let's start with the guy who returns from a year ago, Jan Gomes. He was signed last year. He ended up really becoming the primary catcher as Wilson spent a lot of time as the DH FanGraf says a 243 average, and on base just under 300 slugging 341. That is an eight home run season, good for 1.2 war, double what he did a year ago. You buying that, Jeremy, or no?
2: Um, I'm I, I think I am, and I'm gonna go with a little bit of a theme here for both these catchers. The so one thing I will say is it doesn't really take into account uh catcher framing as part of their defensive value on the war. So uh I think that will also play into it. But I'm gonna go over because I think and I think it's also gonna affect Barnhart. Um, I think they're going to platoon a lot and I think they're going to get put in a lot better positions, uh, to hit. So I think they're actually going to hit a little bit better than what we would perceive them to be. So I'm going to go over with young goats.
1: Yeah, I'll take the over as well, only because this seems really low. Again, continue. There's a recurring theme theme through all of these players where if we take the over, we don't take it meaningfully. Like they're not going to outproduce this, uh, to any appreciable extent, but they will outproduce it. And so for that reason, I will give Jan Gomes the over. I'll give him the the Gover. The Jan Gover.
0: I like it. I'll also give him the Gover. I think he's gonna take the majority of the starts at backstop for the Cubs. And I thought he was a pretty nice player last year, right? His war was only zero point six. I was actually surprised. I thought it'd be a little bit higher than that. But He's not going to be the problem with the team this year, and I really don't like his mate, the other backstop, the next guy here, Tucker Barnhart. He gets a multi-year deal from the Cubs coming off of a negative war season. FanGraphs says he's going to do better this year. 225, 300, 318, four home runs and one war. Tucker Barnhart, Jeremy, over or under on one war this year.
2: I'm going to go over. I think that Barnhart is going to, I think once again, I think, first of all, Barnhart was awful last year, and I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year. Second of all, I think he's going to really only face, be put into situations where he's going to have the platoon advantage, uh, you know, the handedness advantage. So I think he's not going to face as much same side hitting. He's not going to be put in as many situations where, like he was with the Tigers, So I think he's going to hit a little bit better than what his numbers would suggest normally because I think he's just going to be kind of that a specialist kind of in that area. Like with Gomes, I think I think it's going to work the two of them together. So I'm going to go over. I think Barnhart is going to go over. I think he provides a little bit also behind the plate that we haven't quite seen as much in previous years. So I'm going to go over with Tucker Barnhart.
1: I will take the under. I'm just not going to be the person who who, uh, counts on Tucker Barnhart to outperform any kind of offensive projection, I will take the under on Tucker Barnhart and his number 18 jersey.
0: I really don't like this guy on the Cubs roster. So I'm also going to go with the under. I I hope I'm wrong here. I hope he has a nice season and can contribute. Him and Gomes can maybe figure it out there behind home plate as a platoon type situation. But I hate that this guy got a multi-year deal. Like I, I don't think anything that he did warranted that. And what does that say about the Cubs over the next two years that they want to commit this to Tucker Barnhart. I just don't like it at all. He's not a very good player. You know, you mentioned the platoon advantage. He wasn't good against any pitchers last year. He was a little bit better on one over the other, but he was not a good hitter in any way, shape or form against that other arm. So it's ugly. And I'm not buying Tucker Barnhart as a big guy for the Cubs. No.
2: But he does bring a little bit, you know, pitch framing and some other things that the Cubs haven't had behind the plate. So, Uh, I could see why they did kind of value him a little bit.
0: Do you
1: think this team needs Coy Hill? Yes. Well, what team doesn't need Coy Hill? Like when you're only three fingers away from a championship, you call Coy Hill. Or three finger Brown. Or, well, one is alive and one is dead, so. (laughs) You can still call him. This guy here is dead. Cross him off the list then. I guess
0: for Barnhart, the advantage he would have would be left-handed pitching. versus right-handed pitching and last year versus left-handed pitching 238 304 254 yikes so yeah it's better than 216 282 271 but it's not good so bad I'm not expecting him. he was bad. Yeah, he was but bad. He's been You're right.
2: better. He's been better in his career than last year. Like he's had other, not that he's ever been a good hitter. I'm not going to say he's a good hitter, but he's a catcher. He's a backup catcher. Uh, and he's going to be put in the situation for him. That's the best situation. I feel like he's not gonna be an everyday guy. So I think he's going to outperform
0: his projections. We'll see lots to watch though in spring training. Uh, as we wind things down here, the show, Randall, I wanted to ask you about this last week, but uh, opportunity didn't come up. So let's bring it up here today uh, big news from the milwaukee brewers they announced three major changes to your favorite national league central ballpark amfam field one lowering concession prices for this year including beer so good on them for that two introducing fireworks back into the ballpark and three upgraded sound system at amfam field uh, i'm sure you're thrilled to watch fireworks here after christian yelich hit the bomb
1: well Ronan, when you brought this up to me in that way that you do, you said, Randall, Randall, how does this make you feel? Or it it sounded more like Randall, Randall, how does this make you feel? You know, that's, that's, that's you. And, you know, I told you it didn't much matter to me. Lowering concession prices. That's a good thing. The Giants have apparently slashed beer prices at, at the, their beautiful park out there by the Bay. That's a good thing. That's fine. And, you know, that'll be great for all the Cubs fans who go up there and embarrass the Brewers fans uh, in taking over the ballpark. The other things, it just adds to that atmosphere. And and specifically, you said, or I said at the time, it just adds more circus to that circus park. And you said, no, 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 it's not a garbage park. That's your words, my friend. I didn't call it a garbage park. I did call it a circus park. And I feel confident saying that because if you have your mascot who lives in this little hovel up in left center field and slides down a slide after a home run, if you have the racing sausages during the game and you are renowned for those racing sausages, which they are, and if you have uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong you've been there more recently than I have the holographic Bud Selig experience oh, yeah. in your ballpark if you have all of those things in your ballpark I'm comfortable calling your ballpark a circus ballpark and so the fireworks they just make a circus ballpark more circus like the mascot wasn't enough you eat the mascot and the fireworks for a home run now Sure. Whatever makes you happy. I think that's uh, very reflective of the Brewers and Miller Ampham ballpark place of greater Milwaukee. I think that's perfectly reflective of them. That's fine. They do. They I'm glad the Cubs have not yet knock on wood succumbed to any of those temptations and they keep it relatively low key for home runs. I I do have a sinking feeling that someday that's coming, but it hasn't happened yet.
0: Well, we got a taste of it. 4th of July, 2015, At Wrigley Field, where the Cubs were kind of messing around with fireworks. But it was a 4th of July, a bit of a one-off thing. Um, You get some pyrotechnics at some of the concerts at Wrigley Field as well. I enjoy going up to Milwaukee. I think it's a nice place to see a ball game. I've always had a good time, whether the Cubs win or the Cubs lose, try to make the most of it up there. But I just was sort of laughing. Like, this was prompted by a survey that the Brewers sent out to their fan base. Randall, wouldn't you love to just look through that survey and see some of the suggestions that Brewers fans had? I,
1: I did. Every every suggestion was either moo or oink.
0: Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what do you think? You like fireworks at the ballpark or no?
2: Well, you know how I feel about Miller Park. I think that uh, anything they it's do... American up there, Family
1: Field, Jeremy.
2: You're right. American Family Field and Fan Park. I think anything they do, uh, you know, to make it a more fan-friendly experience, that's good. Fireworks at the ballpark, See, for me, that always brings up memories of the, uh, you know, Southsiders, White yeah. Sox, Bill Beck. But I always think about, so I, I, you know, I like it for them because it's their tradition and it's what they do. Uh, Wrigley Field, not really going to be a fan of that forever bringing that there. But, uh, you know, I, I expect, you know, now that they got all those LED lights at some point, you know, you get all the different colors and stuff to go around after a home run.
0: So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't want it at Wrigley. I like it at certain ballparks. I think it's perfectly fine on the south side. It's part of the White Sox mystique. I am so relieved that the Colorado Rockies do not do it after every home run. We get three fireworks games a year, two at the fourth, one at the final weekend of the year. It's like a fan celebration thing. I got the pup here in the apartment. I'm a couple hundred feet (laughs) beyond left field at Coors Field. If there were fireworks after every home run, this would be a war zone for at least Huxley. So I'm really glad that they don't do that.
1: Well, it's a good thing that uh, AmFam Field is not really within distance of any kind of residences or anything but highways and parking lots because you would hope they would have surveyed the local dogs as to would you like fireworks at the ballpark? And I'm just imagining a resounding choruses of barks, all translating to no thank you.
0: Well, we'll end on that note. That's all we got here today. Lots more Cubs spring training notes to get to over the next couple of weeks in anticipation for opening day on March Thirtieth at Wrigley Field, the Cubs, and Randall's Brewers. We're on Twitter, at BTIL Podcast, so please give us a follow. Randall is on Twitter, at Randall J. Sanders. So definitely give him a follow. Tell your friends to follow Randall J. Sanders. More than 5,000 good baseball fans follow Randall J. Sanders on Twitter. Let's get it to six as soon as we can. That's all we got. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.